Fast Forward Productions. The women are speaking. Welcome to another episode of So Mind-Boggling Journeys. I'm your host, Bettina Goolsby. I'm an actor and dreamer slash creative continuing to go after my dreams. So much of this journey is just so mind-boggling, hence the title, for either reasons of utter disappointment or the manifestation beyond what I could have ever imagined. Follow along as I check in with other creatives along the way and learn what so mind-boggling things they have to say and what it's like pursuing the dream while living the in-between. Hey listeners, on today's episode of So Mind-Boggling Journeys, I sit down and talk with Darlene Hope. And Darlene is an actor. I feel like she's like an actor's actor. She's super talented. She works across all mediums and strong background in theater. And and she's been doing lots of television work, voiceover work, and commercial work. She's just someone that over the years, she's always just had such a strong presence about her, just knows who she is and very personable and just always very, just kind of just grounded. She's super grounded in herself. I just think it's great how her career has excelled in the past few years. She is now a full-time working actor. Again, like I said, she's working across all different types of mediums. Right now, she's just Coming off of a show, she performed in Mojo, A Black Love Story, which is a part of the Shakespeare Theater of New Jersey's two plays, Florence and Mojo. They're one-night plays by Alice Childress. She just came off of that run. We were talking about how it's great that she gets to really kind of enjoy the new year. I feel like Darlene is one of those artists where... She's very steady and she's been able to just maintain a steadiness and a resolve. I deeply admire that. I think it's fitting that her last name is Hope and that she is full of joy and promise and belief. I just admire her energy and her spirit. I cannot wait for you all to see more of her work. Here is Darlene Hope. So you just wrapped up two plays together, Florence and Mojo, and you performed in Mojo. Both plays are written by Alice Childress, who was the only African-American woman to have written, produced, and published plays for four decades. Novelist, playwright, actress. Yes, she's pretty much a powerhouse. Yes, she is a powerhouse. She has (laughs) has a a paper archive at the Schomburg Center right here in Harlem. So what was that like working on such important work? It was absolutely incredible. In a talk back one day, one of my co-actors said that it was like coming home. And that was so true. I believe that Alice Childress's work is timeless, that it is relevant, just as relevant today as it was 50 years ago with her earliest writings. And she's a genius. You know, I mean, the depth of her words, the expressivity of even the vowel sounds that she chooses and the consonants and the punctuation that she chooses, where she makes punctuation, it's just incredible. And it was an honor to do a play by her. It was an honor to play this particular character, Irene and Mojo, one of her one acts. It was just a great time. And I'm very, very honored to have been asked to portray that role because it's a pretty heavy role and really, really honored to feel like I did a, I I feel like I did a good job. (laughs) 
Yes, I had the honor of being able to see you during your dress run, and it was great. And I loved your character. You acted alongside actor Chris White. This is a Black love story. It's about a divorced couple, Irene and Teddy, who are not together anymore, but you all still have a friendship and you still can lean on each other and you're still each other's support system, even if at times you don't want to be or you don't you know, want the other person to be. Right. It's, you know, it's that kind of age old story of community that we often lean on and acknowledge as people of color, particularly of people of African-American descent here in the United States. We know about that, how tight-knit our communities can be, how just because you necessarily divorce someone doesn't mean that they are out of the family or out of your community or out of your life. They still remain a really important part of your story. And so that's who Irene and Teddy were. And they had fallen in love and, and found this kind of kinship in their younger years years and messed it up. <laughs> you know, like a lot of couples do, they really messed it up. And so when Irene gets a diagnosis that she has to have surgery and go into the hospital and it kind of shakes her world up, she goes back to that one person who she feels like she had that kinship with. And they have a very frank evening and conversation where they talk about their past their story, where they came from, how they got together and all the things that went down in their relationship. And of course, as you can expect, there are a lot of secrets that are revealed and a lot of, you know, past hurts that are fleshed out. But it's a beautiful story and it's called Mojo Colon, A Black Love Story. And it truly is a Black love story, not only between this man and this woman, but between what it means to be a Black person in the United States and how we love each other. It's how we love ourselves and how we love each other. So it's a beautiful, beautiful story. I was going to say that it also was about how a Black woman discovers herself and the love that she has within herself and being able to also rely and just know that she, at the end of the day, should also be her own best friend, right? It's true. And learn how to love life, how to love the fact that you are alive and you are breathing. And even if you only have a short period of time, you are able to make changes and and do great things even with a short period of time. So it's a beautiful story about just being alive and falling in love with yourself and discovering who you are as an individual. Darlene, it was so great to see you up there just because, I mean, you've been acting in the city for over 30 years from Orlando, Florida. I love that your acting background, you started as a part of the Mickey Mouse Club, which I think is like, that's such great training ground, I feel. (laughs) (laughs) And you did all this like Disney work after school? I did. You know, I went to a woefully underfunded high school and like a lot of kids do, it wasn't in the inner city, it was in the suburbs. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah, yeah. Though our teachers were not, they didn't have all the money in the world. They were incredibly smart, incredibly industrious and motivated. And they they made this connection with Disney Studios. I grew up in Orlando, Florida, for anybody who's wondering. They made this connection with Disney Studios in order to get us real world experience. So the studios would come and pick us up after school. We would go out to Disney Studios and do background work for the Mickey Mouse Club. So at that time, that was during the era where Justin Timberlake and Britney Spears and and so many of these young talents that we know now who are superstars now. 
they were on the update of the Mickey Mouse Club at that time. And they needed a lot of young people to be the background players. And so we would go out there and we would, you know, we weren't paid or anything like that, but we would do professional background work. And it was a great way to, I think, get my start as a professional actor. It was great to kind of be in an environment that was that felt larger than life and larger than just our school productions. And I could see a career for me from that perspective. So yeah, I've been at this for a long, long time. And then 16 years ago, after getting my graduate degree in, in acting, I moved up to New York City and, and the rest is history. And the rest is history. And so you acted in New York City doing all types of things, doing Broadway, doing film and television. You have been on the blacklist just this last October. You did Blue Bloods. You've done Don't Shoot the Messenger. So what do you think is the difference between your television work and your play work? Like, do you like doing all of them equally or do you have like a favorite? I love them all for different reasons. And they bring out different sides of my creative spirit. And I'm so thankful to be in a position to work in so many different mediums. I started out on stage, as a lot of actors do, primarily because that's where your training is honed. And so, you know, I I went to undergraduate and graduate school for acting, and that was heavily focused on stage work. And then when I moved to New York City, you know, things kind of broadened out for me. Stage work led into commercials, which led into television work and film, which I'm doing now. And voiceover work, it just kind of one door opened another. We have this saying as actors where we say work begets work. And that is so true. I say it all the time to young people, just say yes to things, start saying yes. And the industry will tell you where your value is. The industry will tell you where it needs you and where your voice is really necessary. And it's okay to let the marketplace speak back to you and reflect back to you where it can really use you. And so that's really what happened to me. It was a really kind of organic unfolding, one door leading to another. And I love it all. I get to take one hat off and put on another, (laughs) you know, which is great, you know, and sometimes I have to go back to the drawing board and say, okay, where am I right now? Okay, I'm in a voiceover booth. So I got to use my voice like this. And I got to, you know what I mean? I got to exercise these skill sets versus what I was doing, you know, 10 days ago on stage or, you know, a week ago on a television set. But it's fun. It's fun to be in a position where I can exercise all of those different muscles. Yes. And be super creative and just use, just kind of go from one thing to the other. It's like all these varied projects is, you know, sounds like it's a great time. How did that feel like working on CBS's Blue Bloods? Because that was like a big moment for you. That was a big moment. You know, I felt so honored to be there. Josie Rodriguez, who is the casting director for Blue Bloods, I've known her for quite a long time now. They have been so wonderful to me and they have called me in year after year for such amazing projects. And this was just the latest. She's been in my corner and cheering for me, I feel like for a long time. So I was really, really happy to book this one out for her. And Blue Bloods, which is a show that is about a family that is peppered throughout the NYPD. 
all of them kind of play various roles within the NYPD, from the police commissioner all the way down to detectives and and officers, and then into the DA's office. And then every episode, they have this kind of round table where the family has dinner on Sunday evenings, and they sit around and talk about all the things that are happening in the NYPD. Going on the series and being a guest star on that series was so great because it was it felt like a family environment from beginning to end. It really, what was happening behind the camera truly reflected, I feel, the storyline of that series, which was encouraging and fun and beautiful to see. Also, one of the most diverse sets that I've ever worked on. It's the first time that I have worked where I walked into hair and makeup and the hair and makeup team were people of color. Wow. Yeah. So sometimes it's, that's not always the case. No. And hair and makeup, like both? Hair and makeup. So I had an amazing Hispanic man doing my makeup for me. And then I had an amazing young Black woman doing my hair for me. It really gave me a sense of comfort and a level of of feeling taken care of that I've never experienced before on set. Because sometimes you can you can be sitting in that chair like, oh my gosh, please do me right. Do me good, y'all. Come on. <laughs> like, please know the shades and the lighting and the colors. You know, listen, I, you know, there is a certain level of trust that you have to allow people to have when you, when you sit down in their chair, they're professionals, just like you are, they have worked for decades in their positions, just like you have, and you've got to give them that trust and you've got to take your hands off of the, you know, release the vice grip, (laughs) (laughs) you know, that you might have over how you want to appear on camera. That being said, this was just a stellar experience. And I really felt comfortable in a way that I had never felt before. I felt taken care of. I felt like the team there were empowered to take their time to do exactly what they knew they needed to do in order to make me look my best, because sometimes time is an issue as well. So it was a it was a phenomenal experience. There are, there's all these other factors, right, on the other side that people might not know, the audience might not know. There's so many things that go into play. So, you know, do you sometimes just go makeup and hair ready just in case so that, you know, you won't have a situation where there's not enough time or the person might not know your correct shade of foundation? So do you ever just go makeup ready yourself? Of course. That is part of my regular practice. As a person of color, particularly as a woman of color, there are certain things that we do. We come prepared if our needs cannot be met by the team that's there. Sometimes you really, really luck out. When I did the blacklist, they were unbelievable. When I did Halston, they were unbelievable. These are Emmy award-winning hair and makeup teams. And they are that for a reason because they are ready and capable to accomplish whatever it is that you need. Same thing with Blue Bloods, but that's not always the case. I shout those out because they're doing a phenomenal job and I would love for other series to take a look at what they're doing and figure out what they're doing right that can amend some of the worries that actors do. But I, it's part of my normal practice to continue to come not camera ready, definitely not camera ready, because you really don't know what that director's vision is for your character. Right. Okay. Because I was going to say, I actually don't go to set makeup ready. I bring my makeup. And of course, I definitely bring my foundation, but I don't 
necessarily go makeup ready or camera ready. So that's why I was asking if that's something that you do. And I was wondering like, well, should I just because I've, I've been I've found myself in a little bit of a, a pickle sometimes when you're right, when it's like I get there and they're like, OK, great, let's go ahead and, you know, take you to set. And I'm like, oh, wait, I, I thought I was going to have some time to set up. And they're, you know, like another scene got caught or, or, or cut or they, you know, changed the schedule around and they're like, oh, we're going to go ahead and shoot you next. And it's like, ah, you know, so I was like, I need to figure out a better way so that I can get there and then not, you know, be prepared if there's like, you know, quick changes, you know? Well, let me just say this. Let me just say, I do go what I consider to be camera neutral. So I will do my foundation and concealer. I will usually do my brows because I kind of put a lot of time and effort into my doing a neutral brow now. And I also do with my hair, what I will do is it's washed and it's ready. And I usually braid it down. And part of the reason why I braid it down, I, I will blow it out and braid it down because if they want to cover it with a wig, they can do that quickly. If they want to blow it out, flat iron it, they can do that relatively quickly. If they want to curl it, you know, if they want to do curl curly and natural, all they have to do is put some gel. So I kind of go in a space where it allows them to work quickly. Whatever transition they want to make, I can go up or down, wh whatever it is that they can do, and they can do it in a kind of timely manner. Mm -hmm. So we actually did a project together. We did a print ad for a Scholastic back in September of 2019. Do you, you remember? I certainly do. We argued over who the grandfather would be. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> we sure did. Oh, my goodness. Listen. <laughs> no, I do remember. I do remember this. And and I was trying because I was trying to think I could remember the scholastic shoot that we did because we had so much fun on that day. And that little girl that we shot with and Mr. Williams, shout out to Mr. Williams. That, that little girl was so adorable and Mr. Williams was so gracious. He was amazing. And that's what we were arguing over. We were arguing over whose father is he actually portraying in the shoot <laughs> because we loved him so much. He was so great. Yes. Henry Williams. Oh my gosh. Yes. That was a really fun shoot. You know, we had good time on set. You know, I remember the makeup being good. I remember us doing our own hair though. One thing I don't know if you remember this is before the Scholastic print ad in 2019, we actually did the MCC Theater Fresh Play Festival in July of 2012. The Fresh Play Festival is a festival where actors get together for a whole week and we rehearse. And then at the end of the week, we have a reading and it's a young playwright's work. And so the young playwright gets to hear these professional actors reading their work. And, you know, I don't know. Do we do feedback? I don't remember feedback at the end. Do you remember that? And Brian D. Coates was in it with us. I remember on the day that we did the Scholastic shoot that we had mentioned that we knew each other. And I was trying to remember what it was that we said that we had done together before that. So I'm so glad that you remember that. It was that reading. It really was. That was so much fun. And I love when I get to do those festivals because, first of all, you get to hear the new works, a, a lot of new developing works from young playwrights and sometimes even older or mid-career playwrights. You're, you're working on projects that maybe aren't quite totally finished or aren't stage ready, but you get to help them develop whatever that project is. 
I love those readings and I try to stay plugged in in the city as much as I can to do that kind of work and make myself available. I'll be doing another reading in December out in Queens, just another piece to stay, you know, stay in the game, stay at the ground level so that as these playwrights are developing this work, they're thinking of your voice and they're thinking of you for maybe future projects. Yes. I so agree with that. It does feel very much like you're in on the ground floor and that you're really helping them develop and shape whatever it is that they're written. And whenever you can support someone else and their art, it's like, it feels good because it's like you're, you're creating you're, and you're really collaborating together because they haven't maybe necessarily fully fleshed out the characters. They're wanting to see kind of like what you're bringing to it. And so it does feel like a super collaborative, you know, effort. Yeah, yeah. Great. Okay. So we really haven't touched on your film work. Do you want to talk a little bit more about your film work? I'm just now getting into film. I have big aspirations to do more of that work. So commercials, I was very lucky to have a commercial career that was relatively successful. And and that led me to what I'm doing a lot of now, which is television series work. And hopefully the next step is to jump into some films. So I'm getting seen more and more for those things. And I think that what people don't necessarily talk a lot about is so many of these casting offices specialize in certain things. So the people who are casting for commercials aren't necessarily casting for television and the people who are casting for television aren't necessarily casting for film. And you have to start all over again, getting to know them once you get into those offices. So I'm in the belly of the beast in that sense and getting to be known by those casting offices that cast for film. And it's exciting and it's fun and I'm meeting so many new people and building new relationships. So hopefully you'll see soon. I mean, I'm getting seen for some exciting stuff. So hopefully I'll be able to book some bigger projects, which will be very, very cool because, you know, I mean, sometimes, I don't know, family and friends, they ask so much, you know, like, well, what are you doing? What are you working on? And if you're doing a play, they may not necessarily have heard about it or or been able to see it, but everybody can go catch a television series or everybody can go catch a film, you know, if you say that you're in that. So hopefully that's the next step for me is to kind of broaden my audience and the people who have exposure to my work. That's great. Darlene, we touched on it. I mean, did we actually touch on it? I think I just told you that I wanted to touch on it now that I'm thinking about it. Just the idea of, you know, with you being in the industry for so long and, you know, really grinding it out year after year and project after project and really making that what feels like and seems like the focus and your priorities. Like, how does that play into doing other things in our lives and maybe like having families or getting mortgages? Well, one of the interesting things about where I sit now in my mid-40s, mid-career actor. One of the interesting things about where I am right now in my career and what I've been able to see as a mid, middle-aged, mid-career actor is I've seen a lot of actors come and go. I've seen a lot of people start great careers, have successes, and then be pulled away by the demands of life and family. I have seen people get tired of kind of being what I call on the hamster wheel is constantly having to pursue individual projects. 
having to see, you know, to, to see people make hard decisions about what they value financially and in life, whether that's to get married or have children or even just the high cost of living in cities like New York, LA, Chicago, versus, you know, moving to a smaller market, maybe becoming an, an actor in a theater company that's in a smaller town that's more affordable and allows you to raise your kids in schools that you really think are great. So I've been able to see a lot. And I talk to a lot of young actors about these kinds of decisions, because when you're young and you join the industry, you're not necessarily thinking about retirement. You're not necessarily thinking about where your kids are going to go to school what age you might want to get married, what quality of life even means. You're not thinking about that at all. <laughs> and is that because we've come in bright-eyed, bushy-tailed, and we're like, oh, in five years, I'll be doing A, B, and C, and so it'll all work itself out. Everything will just kind of fall into place. Well, yeah, God and God bless the young, you know? I mean, God bless the young for being all energy and no experience, and, <laughs> and you got to have that. You know, I mean, that that's the thing that makes you shoot for your dreams in the first place. And so if you don't have that, you you won't even start. But I like for young people to be thinking about these things because they have to know that they're going to evolve over the course of their career and that this career working in the entertainment industry is a marathon. It's not a sprint. And that you should be thinking that 10 years from now, even if you if you've just gotten out of school with a BFA or an MFA, or let's just say you just graduated from a great place like like William Esper, you know, and and you're 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 excited and you want to get out there and work. You got to know that in 10 years, you're probably not going to want the same things or need the same things that that you that you might want at the moment. And so I, I feel very, very lucky to have stayed in the game long enough to have seen a lot of different people's stories play out in a lot of different ways. And they were all talented. They all had promise, but they just needed different things and that's okay. And as for me, you know, I think I did, I think I did start out with a lot of idealism and a lot of thinking that things were going to work out right out the gate. I mean, if you told me that I would be living and working in New York City after 15 years and still waiting to do something like make my Broadway debut or make my debut in a major motion film, I probably would have laughed in your face 15 years ago as a youngster just coming out of grad school. You would have thought for sure within that amount of time, you would have made ex, you know, certain moves and had certain credits. Yeah, absolutely. Exactly, exactly. But it's the nature of independent contract work that you build those connections slowly. Just like if you were, you know, in any other style of work, if you make a deal, you don't make a deal every single day. You might make one great deal a year, or you might make three or four great deals that year that kind of set your income up and are markers in your career that you can build something else on. And that's how it is in the entertainment industry as well. You may have 15 bookings over the course of a year, but really, truly, only three or four of those are going to be things that I can promote and hang my hat on that are buildable for something more. That's a lot of bookings. You're getting 13 to 14 bookings a year? 
<laughs> yeah. Girl, you booked and busy. Yeah. <laughs> well, you know, I'm I'm thankful and I'm blessed that I've stayed in the game long enough. I'm a I'm a full-time working artist. And there's a lot that comes along with that positive and negative. And I'm sure we're gonna talk about a lot of it. And that's really what your podcast is about, you know? Is <laughs> about how does that yes. even happen? Like, and what is the crazy stories behind what it means to be a w- daily working artist? So, right. Well, and how did you even get to that point? Like, what were you doing? Did you have a period of time where you were like a server or working, you know, doing coat check or something? Were you working like a quote unquote actor job before, you know, before this? I presume so. Oh my gosh. Unless you're like a unicorn. Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. You know, when I moved to New York, I was lucky enough to have some connections that helped me get an agent when I first moved to New York. But I moved right at the height of the stock market crash in like 2008, 2009. You know, all of that was happening when I first moved to New York. My agent that I got when I first moved to New York retired. He was an older man. He was not willing to kind of wade through that low turn of the economy. I don't, were you, I, I guess you were here during that time. Do you remember all those stores down in like Midtown were all closed up, boarded up, you know, during 2008, 2009. And it was a scary time because so many people were out of work. There was so little work. And so I moved here, got an agent and then lost my agent within a year. Oh my God. Yeah. Talk about a high and a low. That's a, that's a huge high when you get an agent and then to lose said agent. Wow. Exactly. Exactly. And you said within a year? Within a year, you know, within a year. And so I ended up having to get a regular job like a lot of actors do, like a lot of creative artists and creatives, writers, models, designers, people who are brilliant, but have to make their ends meet. And so they work a regular job. I ended up landing in some tech startups and the finance industry, which gave me a great living, paid me an absolutely I was going to say, that sounds like that paid well in the tech world. <laughs> yeah, a phenomenal living. That's where the money resides. <laughs> you know, and if you have half a brain, it was. And here I was, a young Black woman with a master's degree working in tech and working in finance. And there was endless promise and endless possibility in those industries. And it became very difficult to choose if I was going to permanently shift gears and become a part of the the finance and tech world. You know, as they say, thank God for Jesus. (laughs) As something that people in the South say where I'm from. Yes. I just felt like God really wanted me to stay put as an actor and he just kept opening doors. He never allowed me to fully turn my back on my creative career and he kept opening doors for me to be able to go back to where my heart was, which was creating and acting and singing. So I've always come back. And then eventually, as the years passed, I was able to put a full-time career behind me and transition to being a full-time creator. So those number of bookings a year are because I have my full day to devote 
to my creative pursuits, which is, you know, which is a huge feat and, and definitely not something to wink at. No. And have you decided for yourself that this is this is what you're doing? Like from here on out, this this is it right here. Oh, yeah. You know, I mean, I I've seen a lot of creatives lose heart during the years where they weren't able to, let's say they have a really big contract or a really big job, something that brought them a lot of satisfaction. And then they come home and they have to start all over again. And that can be disheartening. And I've seen a lot of people lose faith or lose hope because they have to come back to ground zero after they finish an absolutely phenomenal job. I mean, Broadway shows open, Broadway shows close. And then when your Broadway show closes, you got to start auditioning again, <laughs> you know? It's definitely like a cycle. <laughs> it is. You can be in a hit show on a Broadway stage making thousands of dollars a week and then go back to making zero dollars and just hoping to get in the room to being seen for something that you, you feel like you're right for. So yeah, so I've seen a lot of people lose heart over those things. But thankfully, I've been able to navigate my way back into creative work. And I always tell young actors the same thing, like find your way back to it. There's no shame in taking a break, you know, jumping off the hamster wheel for a while, getting yourself a job where you've got that paycheck coming in week after week after week. You can take yourself out to a nice dinner, treat your friends to some spa days. <laughs> This is where I am right here. I, I have hopped mm -hmm, off mm -hmm. the hamster wheel yeah. <laughs> at the moment. And it's been nice. It's been nice to just kind of like know that every day I'm going to, you know, go to this place or, you know, really on my, go on my computer and do this job. And it's like, and I'll have a check, you know, and I'm like, gosh, there's something just so yes. nice about it where it's like, you know, the fight and the, you know, that was just kind of wearing me out a little bit with the freelance work. And I still love freelance work and I will always support freelancers and the freelance community and the gig economy, you know, but it is very nice to just kind of have a little bit of a breather, you know, have a, some breathing room there. It's so true. So how do you keep you? Because you sound very like, you know, jubilant and very refreshed. Like you don't sound like the game of it all has like jaded you or chipped away at your sense of like wonder and excitement and, you know, thrill of their, of what could be right around the corner. So how do you, how do you, you know, keep your, your spirits so high? Well, I try to be and do the work that, is really meaningful for me and to be in this industry for the right reasons for me. And I am constantly calibrating to make sure that the way that I'm expending my time is bringing back value into my life because it's not always easy to, to work, like you said, in the gig economy in this independent contract format where you're constantly seeking work and, and there's a, there's a sense of, at any moment, the floor could fall out from under you and you could be, you know, on the bread lines or something. That's not easy. It's like, don't let any emergencies or accidents happen. It's like, you know, I have a friend going through that now. Any little thing happens and it throws you off course. It's true. It's true. I'm coming back from that. You know, earlier this year in March, I had a major surgery, you know, and that was hard because not only was that 
at a time where I was building back from being off of work for a year and a half through the pandemic. It's so funny. I was listening to something on the news today where these politicians were saying, oh, we're, we're, you know, the U.S. government is paying people to be out of work. They're paying people to not work. And that's not what happened. I don't know who they know or what examples they're using. But when it comes to the entertainment industry and when it comes to being an artist, a working artist, a working creator, that's not how I experienced the pandemic. When our venues were able to reopen because for a long time we weren't able to even gather. Jazz clubs were closed. Arenas were closed. Theaters were closed. A lot of restaurants were closed. A lot of these places where we work as artists and as creators weren't open, weren't able to be opened. So once they were able to be opened in the fall of last year, I was so excited and so ready to be back to work. And then shortly thereafter, I had a medical emergency that knocked my plan off. So I totally understand what you're talking about as far as your friend going through that, because it's not easy to balance this gig work and this lifestyle with planning for the future and planning for the unknown but it can be done. And so I just try to stay as encouraged as I possibly can. And that comes through just doing the work for the right reasons. I love people. I love giving back to the community. I grew up in a household where civic involvement was huge for us. Social involvement was huge for us. We were deeply involved in our church as a family. But beyond that, we would go and do prison ministries. We would go and do the food pantries. My family really worked hard to to be about community business and building our community. And so I try to keep that as the focus of my career. If I can stay close to the people, if I can do projects that that are meant to build communities. I mean, I wouldn't mind doing a big splashy Disney show or a big splashy, you know, Spider-Man or, you know, some, some big, huge show like that. I wouldn't mind doing that. We need entertainment. But where my heart really lies in is building the community and making sure that I'm not just entertaining, but I'm also giving people something solid that they can walk away with and feel like they're restored, they're healed. And so doing this work, not only to make money, but to do it for the right reasons keeps me excited. It keeps me wanting to go back out there and pursue the next gig. Oh, that's amazing. That is, that's amazing. That's so inspiring, Darlene. You have me over here like, mm, like, <laughs> okay. Yeah. Cause uh, yeah, I just had gotten kind of like just jaded. It just felt like, I don't know, I guess I just felt like, oh wait, you really can kind of pursue and grind and do whatever for many, many years. And that doesn't guarantee that anything's going to happen. And during that time you're getting older and it's like, you know, you, you know, you want certain things in life. Maybe you want to own a home or maybe you want to have a family or maybe you want to, I don't know, you want to maybe want to travel or, you know, there's certain things that you want to do. And it's like, oh, well, okay. So, you know, do I, do we just, you know, keep at it this way or do we find other creative outlets as well? And so, um, you know, that's hence why you're here on the podcast, because, you know, it's one of those things where it's like, I really wanted to talk to other artists about it and just get everybody else's kind of like takes and opinions and experiences on it. Yours is so inspiring to me because 
like to have that type of fortitude, you know, I'm like, that's probably why you have, you know, been as successful as you've been, you know, not only because you're super talented. I tell you, I think you have one of the best voices out. Thank you. I think it's that fortitude that does, you know, make real change in, you know, in people's careers. And so it's interesting. It's like one of those things where it's like, you know, the rest of us probably have to just sit and and ask ourselves like, okay, do we, do we have that type of fortitude? And at one point I definitely did. And so now to your point, it's like, I'm just kind of recalibrating. So it's really interesting to hear your perspective on that. Thank you for sharing that. Of course. It's, you know, being in this industry for the right reasons is important. And before you can determine whether or not you're in the industry for the right reasons, you've got to know yourself really well. And it is okay to take the temperature of what it is that you want, that you're looking for out of life for yourself. So I have a lot of friends who I went to school with a lot of exceptionally talented, hardworking people who I have met over the years in this industry. And when things shift, if you get married, if you have a new baby, if you maybe want to live in an environment where you can buy a house, those kinds of things, you cannot set that aside for too long. You really got to pay attention to what's important to you. And you've got to be brave enough to say, I want to buy a house. And does this industry support me buying a house? Does this industry support me saving up $50,000, $60,000 for a down payment on a home? You know, does my lifestyle in this industry, is it conducive to my happiness? And there's nothing wrong with saying it's not anymore. 10 years ago, it was great. Right now, I want something different. I want something new. That's wisdom. You've got to be willing to continue to take the temperature just for yourself. You know, I'm sure this is applicable to all kinds of professions, but it is especially applicable in our profession because it's a hard industry. It's an industry where there are a lot of no's, there's a lot of rejection, there's a lot of a lot of bad behavior. I'm just going to be frank about it. There there can be a lot of bad behavior in our industry and it's easy to get discouraged. It's easy to get jaded. And so you just got to know yourself. You got to, you got to be good at taking your own temperature. And if you need to take some time away and just get a a regular job so you can buy yourself a pair of Jimmy shoes whenever you want, (laughs) you know, where you can... (laughs) Well, I was thinking of what you said earlier. For me, it's the food. I like to be able to, you know, eat at the restaurants that's important. that I love. That's important. <laughs> Listen, these things are important. If it's important to you to buy really wonderful gifts for your family for Christmas, that there is nothing wrong with that being something that you want to be able to do. And you're tired of like not being able to afford to give great gifts because you show up at Christmas and it's, oh, it's Uncle Danny who doesn't have any money. And, and you know, all of our other uncles can give us great gifts. But Uncle Danny, who's our, you know, artist uncle, he's so poor he can't, aff- you know, <laughs> if you're tired of being, uh, you know, that person. <laughs> You just got to know that about yourself and you yes. got to be willing mm-hmm. to to take a step back. And I've had those moments in my life. You know, I've had moments where, where I just needed to refill my tank. 
my creative tank. You know, you give out, you give out, you give out so much to these audiences and you want to be able to keep doing that, but you can't do that with an, you can't give out on an empty tank. You've got to refill sometimes and you got to say, I got to, I got to come off the hamster wheel for six months and just go walk around some museums and go to some botanical gardens and eat some delicious food and talk to people about something other than who's on what show and who got cast in what series and, you know, and just refill yourself as a human being. You know, I've had to do that before and I will most likely have to do it as an artist again. And so there's, there's definitely nothing wrong with that. So when you think about your future in terms of the business and also just in life, like what do you see and want for yourself? There are a few things. Just in the last six months, my partner and I moved in together. Oh, sweet. Yeah. So that's exciting. So I'm more focused on my home life. Case in point, you know, perfect example. I'm more focused on my home life than I have ever been before in my life because I'm building a home with a new partner and, and it's an exciting time for us. Is this the same apartment that you were very excited about getting? Because I remember there was, you had a little bit of a tough time trying to find a place and people were recommending different places and nothing was, was turning out right. And then you ended up getting like the most amazing opportunity and you, you spoke about it online. Is this the home? This is that place. Yes, it is home. Oh yeah. And you were taking your time really putting it together. Yes. That's great. Yeah, yeah. So long story short for your listeners, I gave up the apartment that I had a few years back. This was just before the pandemic. And I had an opportunity to go out on the road for seven months to perform for seven months out on the road. So I gave up my apartment and I said, I'm going to make all this money and I'm going to move into a beautiful new place all on my own. During the sixth month of that seven months away, the pandemic hit. So I had all of this money saved and nowhere to call home. I ended up getting stuck down in Florida, where I'm originally from. But I had some great friends who said, listen, don't go back to New York right now. Hang out with us for a little while. No, those are great friends. Those are, listen, those are amazing friends. And so I, I hung out in Florida for a little while. And so when I got back to New York smack dab in the middle of the pandemic. This is August of 2020, the shutdown having started in March. So in August, when I came back to the city, everything was still shut down. The city had been largely abandoned by so many people who couldn't afford the rents anymore. But but I needed to get back home. I needed to rebuild my life. Everything that I owned was in storage from a year before when I left town. So came back and I started searching for an apartment. And through miracle of miracles, I had a young lady reached out to me and said, I know you're looking for an apartment. I met you through a mutual friend. I am permanently leaving the city as well. And I have an apartment that I absolutely love. And I want it to go to somebody who I know is going to love it as much as I did. And I walked into the apartment and I fell in love with it. It's beautiful, pre-war, rent-controlled apartment. For those who don't live in New York, <laughs> jackpot. For those who don't live in New York, getting a rent-controlled apartment is like winning the lottery. 
Rent control, bingo, jackpot. <laughs> right. That that billion dollar Powerball. <laughs> exactly, exactly. So, you know, so I got this wonderful apartment. It's it's a studio, but it's large. It's a very large, airy, bright studio. And about a year ago, I started dating this amazing guy. And about, you know, six months ago, we decided to move in together. And so he had his own apartment, but we just kind of felt, and this is the great thing about it, because who knew that the economy was going to take a downturn in the way that it had. And so I just, you know, no one. (laughs) And no one knew, you know, that we would be sitting in this position that we're in now, but it turned out to be an extremely lucky financial situation for us to downsize and move in together. And so he shares his place. It's plenty of space for the two of us. And we're just two birds building a nest right now. And it's a beautiful time for us, but we're also able to save and plan for our future and, and think about, you know, what the future has for us as a couple and then also just as individuals. That's great. That is awesome. And how great is that? That it's like you have that along with your work, you know? So it's like you're having, you know, the best of both both worlds is what it sounds like. It's true. It's true. I feel exceptionally blessed right now in this moment. And that is not to say that, you know, we don't have our challenges. We definitely have, you know, our day-to-day challenges like all ordinary people do, but I'm in a blessed moment and I'm really, really thankful that I have secured housing, which a lot of people are still struggling with, even though this pandemic seems to be ending, a lot of people are now dealing with the financial fallout of what the pandemic did to them. And so, you know, I have secured housing. I have a wonderful relationship. I have a family who champions the work that I do. So I'm exceptionally lucky in this moment. Oh yeah, absolutely. Especially with that last point, you know, you spoke about you know, the personal. And then what do you see for yourself in terms of career? What would be like pie in the sky for you? Pie in the sky for me is, you know, I have a production company that I have been working on since the early days of the shutdown in 2020. And so pie in the sky for me is to not only continue to see my acting career grow, but to also really have the projects that I'm working on with that production company jump off. So there are some, you know, self-made projects that we have that I'm really, really hoping to see get off the ground, a television series that I'm working working on with that. And so it's it's an exciting time to, you know, to be involved in in building something for myself. And speaking of that hamster wheel, I'm hoping that that will become a mechanism for me to not have to constantly focus on pursuing outside work, but that if I have these homegrown projects that I can focus on and 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 I can see get off the ground, that would be really the, the pie in the sky scenario for me as well. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. I'm in that same boat. I'm like, if I could just create more and I've written two short films, but I'm like, I really want to dive deeper into that, like creating the story, producing it, you know, performing in it. Like, I think that's kind of like where my next, that's where I'm going, you know? So I totally am in alignment with you on that. Well, Darlene, thank you so much. I'm so glad we were able to make this happen. You are a busy theater actress, you know? 
how great is that? You just came off of a show and now it's like the holidays. And so it's like, you get to kind of like, I feel like that's like the best when it's like, you know, you're not going into the holidays with anxiety about, oh my gosh, like it didn't work this year or this didn't happen or that didn't happen. And what's going to be on the horizon for 2023. You know, it's great that you get to slide on into the end of the year or having, <laughs> having just finished a really great run and feeling, you know, very full of your creative expression. I mean, that's great. Yeah. And, and just to quickly mention, well, first of all, to thank those who came out recently and saw Florence and Mojo at the Shakespeare Theater of New Jersey. And for those folks who are, are in that area in the New York metro area, shortly after the new year, I will be back at it again at a theater near you. I can't wait to announce what I'm up to next. So I hope that that folks will stay tuned. Check out my social media, Darlene Hope NYC, both on Facebook and on Instagram for an announcement coming up soon where I will be back at it again shortly after the new year starts. Oh, I love it. So we will definitely look out for that. And we will definitely let <laughs> our listeners know when you make that announcement as well. All right. Well, thanks again, Darlene. Thank you so much, Bettina. It's an honor and a pleasure. Yes. How fun. So I just wrapped my recording with Darlene Hope and it was just so great to talk to her because it's so funny. I was telling her, I was like, oh my God, the best parts happened before and after the recording. But no, I hope that you really enjoyed that recording and got something, you know, from it. I was telling her how I admire, you know, her strength and how she is so passionate and dedicated to it because, you know, for me, you know, not having booked in a while and I was, we were talking about how, you know, just the cycle of like, it's like a constant grind, right? And so it's like, you might work with, a manager or an agent and it's like, okay, they'll send you out a, you know, a few times, but if you don't book, then you know not everyone's going to keep working and sending you out. Like Sometimes they might still work with you, but you're definitely not going out as much as you, you know, might have in the beginning, in the beginning of the relationship. Darlene and I were talking about how community is you know, so important. And it's like, well, how do you build community when it's like, you know, there's only a finite amount of time. So do the casting people really have time to kind of like get to know every single actor who, you know, and, and wait for them to kind of develop into what they need them to be before they can submit them here or before they can, you know, actually book this job or that job, just how, you know, it can be very, you know, kind of isolating and lonely because you're constantly pursuing and targeting different gatekeepers, so to speak. But then it's like, there's a part of you that, you know, you have to show improve. And a lot of times showing improving might even have less to do with you and more to do with the fact that there are a million people going after these positions and only one person can get them. So it's a numbers game. It could be like someone has a relationship. Someone maybe works with a casting director and they weren't right for another project, but then they happen to be perfect for this project. So this is their green light. You know, there's so many factors that are involved and sometimes it's just kind of hard to keep trudging on even you know knowing that. And so that's kind of like where I am right now where I've just was feeling like okay this is kind of stifling the, the you know the game the actual kind of process of being in the pursuit of this, it can, you know, get a little bit exhausting, a little bit draining, can be a little bit like, you know, soul crushing. And I was like, but I still have so much like creativity and so much life in me that I feel like I want to creatively express. And it's like, how can I do that? And so here we are at the podcast and hopefully I can, you know, get these short films, these ideas in my head. Hope I can kind of like crystallize them and get them down. And so it was just great talking to her about that. And one other thing that she talked about that I loved was that she was saying, 
something that at this point in her career, she kind of knows what she likes and what she doesn't like. And if, for instance, if she, you know, she was saying that she doesn't really love musicals, right? And so she stopped going after musicals just because of all the work that it takes to be in the musical, coupled with what she seems as her likes and dislikes and such. You know, she just felt like there wasn't enough juice in the squeeze. That's not what she said. That's not the analogy she use. But I was thinking about an analogy that one of my sorority sisters told me where it's like, is the juice worth the squeeze? And that after you've been in, you know, in the business for a while that, you know, even though you really should keep yourself open to different types of projects and opportunities, because you just never know what is what, and you don't, you know, you need those projects to grow and develop and evolve. You know, you can also get to a point where you say, actually, you know what, I actually don't have enjoyment doing this thing. So I'm actually not going to do that. You know, and I'm just going to be a little bit more targeted in the things that I go after. So it was really interesting that we had that, you know, bookend at the end of our recording. So, yeah, so I hope you enjoyed that. I definitely will be following up with Darlene and I will share with you her project for the new year. And I hope you, I don't know, I don't know. I'm awkwardly ending this now. (laughs) Thank you for listening. This has been a So Mind Boggling production. Follow along at So Mind Boggling on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. 